welcome to the Bloke and the Bird show. This week, we start off with a question. A question. A question. And it comes to us from longtime listener, longtime fan, someone who knows very, very well that if you post a comment to either the Facebook page or to uh, the web page, we'll respond. Now, as long as it's not, you guys suck, we'll respond. Well, we might respond to that too, but no, you won't you, necessarily it, like it. If, if you post that we suck, we just wonder why you listening, why you're listening in the first place. Well, yeah. But Phil left us a comment, and it's a really good question, and it's one that um, every once in a while I think it deserves visiting and, and, and discussing. And it also ties very, very neatly in with the big story the of the big week. story of the week and, and what started off the beginning of the week. And Phil asked us, what's the difference between a paid driver and a pay driver, or as we call them, a paying driver? Because it makes a little more sense when you do it that way. But technically, the term is paid driver. In a nutshell, the paid driver is a driver who is paid by the team to drive, like Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button and Nico Rosberg, where a paying driver comes to the team either, typically it is with sponsorship money. Uh, They have personal sponsors who, um, as part of the signing deal with the team, instead of the team paying the driver a salary, the sponsorship group is paying the driver's salary and getting some other considerations along the way. Now, that doesn't mean that a paid driver doesn't have sponsors. True. But those <clears throat> are in addition to the salary that they're going to get from the team. Yeah, like I've heard that, and, and I haven't seen anything in a while that confirms it, but I heard that Fernando Alonso, who is most definitely a paid driver, has very close ties with banking firm Santander. And I believe Jensen Button does. I'm, I'm not positive. If, if Jensen does or if the activities that he tends to do is just part of the overall sponsorship deal that Santander has with McLaren. I don't know exactly where that line is blurred. But we know Jensen does a lot of promotional stuff. I haven't seen as much from Fernando from Santander. And true, true. Uh, <coughs> Lewis has got a lot of his own sponsorships. I don't know who he's got. Um, who was it that I had heard recently was one of his, um, that were personal sponsors. So when we get to like how the money lines up, a driver can get a paycheck from the team. Mm -hmm. A driver can get paychecks from their own personal sponsors. And then there's the various and sundry award monies for how they rank in the championship. Right. I should also point out, there's one, it's very rare, but it does happen. There are drivers who are self-funded. Um, I have heard rumors that Narain Karthikainen was a self-funded driver. He didn't, have, didn't come with sponsors, but he paid his way to get his seat with um, the old HRT team. Mm-hmm. And I've heard rumors that Max Chilton, who comes from a very rich family, also was bringing family money as opposed to sponsorship money. And that happens, too. So 
when we talk about a pay paying driver, a driver who in essence has bought his seat, mm-hmm. um, they what typically happens is as they're coming up through the carting years, the they get noticed by the sponsors, the sponsors they have some special relationship. I mean, mm-hmm. we all know that uh, Carlos Slim has had a big hand in some of the Mexican drivers. Yeah, Sergio Perez and Esteban Gutierrez, and that's why you see on uh, a lot of times the cars that they drive, the Telmex logo, um, and, and some of the other companies that Carlos Slim uh, owns. Right. Um, and so what typically happens is that the contract will, you know, they'll they have some big benefactor or a major sponsor that says, okay, they'll go to a team and say, we've got this, we've got this kid on our contract, we're willing to pay his salary to be on your team, mm-hmm. and with that, you're going to give me placement on his car, on his drum, on his race suit, you know, that type of thing. Or they may pay additional money beyond his salary to get the extra sponsorship placements. They come with a giant check. And, you know, how big that check is is, is how prominent the branding is. Uh, a perfect example is over at Sauber, the reason why Banco de Brazil is emblazoned on their cars and the entire color scheme changed this year from the last couple of years, that silver scheme to the blue and yellow scheme, which is Banco de Brazil colors, is because of the sponsorship that Felipe Nasser brought to the team through his alignment with Banco de Brazil. Right. Now, it's universally thought that if you are a paying driver, that you are not as good or as, in the snobbery world, as deserving of your seat. Because you've bought your way onto yeah. the grid. I mean, that's that's the, mm-hmm. the essence of that argument. <clears throat> when a driver can make the transition from having to buy his seat in a mid to back marker team to having a front marker team pick him up, that would be having arrived. The thing that we have not seen is many paying drivers convert to being paid drivers. Well, there's also the fact that a lot of times when it happens, there's not a lot said about it. There's not a lot mentioned about it. You know, like we said, Fernando Alonso, we know that there's a tie-in there. Kevin Magnuson, apparently also, there's a tie-in with some Danish clothing manufacturers. There are some somewhat quieter deals that get made. And that I think that in a way blurs the line between a paying and a paid driver. I mean, yes, for absolute certainty, Lewis Hamilton has great deserves to be on the grid, earned his stripes, all mm-hmm. of those things. He's making a hefty paycheck from Mercedes. Mm-hmm. But Lewis Hamilton's presence at Mercedes is also gaining sponsorship dollars for Mercedes. So one can argue pretty reasonably that all drivers at some level are paying drivers. They have to do their part to meet the sponsorships, either the company sponsorships or their own personal sponsorships, to have that seat on the grid. And, and it's those sponsorships that last year got Sauber in trouble because with um, Guido Vandergaard mm-hmm. as a confirmed driver, it was all over his sponsorships and the money. And when 
Sauber the following year turned around and for for 2015 announced Felipe Nasser and I'm drawing a sudden blank here. Mary. No. No. When when Sauber announced that lineup, it was because they needed money now, where Guido Vandergaard's money was going to be coming in trickles throughout the season. And because Sauber needed that immediate payoff, it was, they, they decided to go with other drivers. Unfortunately, when you've confirmed your driver lineup and you've got the contract, neither the drivers appreciate that nor their sponsors. <laughs> they get a little tricky. Erickson. Ah, yes, Marcus Erickson. <laughs> Brief brain fart there. It happens. It happens to the best of us. Which brings us to the big the story big of, of the, the week. week which we you know the the drums were getting louder and louder over the last couple of weeks but it is official and you know what monday actually the confirmation came not from reno but from pastor maldonado himself so let's let's the statement that he released on monday As everyone knows, in recent days, there have been a number of rumors about my immediate future in Formula One. Today, I must humbly inform you that I will not be present on the starting grid for the 2016 F1 season. And I'm very impressed that you did not laugh when I got to the humbly part. I was going to ask, does he know what humbly means? Anyway, um, to, to continue, thank you. Thanks for all your messages of support, all two of them, passion and concern for the future. I'm very honored with the support of all of you and proud of my professional performance. I thank God, my family, my sponsors, my friends, my fans, and all who have helped me realize this great dream of being able to represent Venezuela in the pinnacle of motorsport. See you soon. Does he know what the word humbly means? I'm not sure he knows what fans mean either, but that's. <laughs> um, you know, there's a part of me, and I'm going to admit this in my out loud voice and everything. There's a part of me that's sad to see Maldonado go. Well, I, I, I've got a little about that. And all of the reasons that Formula One would be sad to lose Maldonado. What what sadness is coming to us because we don't have Pastor on the grid? Well, obviously because, well, he crashed a lot. And this is courtesy of the folks at the BBC. Obviously, well, you know, he, he crashed a lot. That You know, he, he earned that nickname. Um, in terms of punishment totals, according to the Maldonado Penalty Counter website, um, in his five years in Formula One, he managed 12,900 euros in fines, 305 seconds in time penalties, 88 places in grid penalties, three reprimands, and one qualifying exclusion. Do you realize that the number of grid penalties that he's earned in five years is less than McLaren Honda earned in one race with all of their engine issues last year? Well, if you think about it, with 88 places of grid penalties, um, I, I, I'd have to do the math, but that's what. If he was on pole in, what, six races, five races? Um, no, about four races. If he was on pole, he'd still start at the back. Four races. Yeah, four and a half, but yeah. 
Um, he also admittedly, he creates some very spectacular moments. Yes. And, and the, the picture that um, comes to mind, the BBC used it, is after he managed to flip Esteban Gutierrez in 2014 at, at the, the Bahrain Grand Prix. And they've got this shot of Pastor's car and Esteban's car in midair upside down. <laughs> next, I mean, it, it truly is an amazing picture. Oh, yeah. As idiotic as it was. Um, there was occasional brilliance. I mean, he, he did win the the Spanish Grand Prix that people still don't completely understand why. Um, that year, he did also get 45 points that season. Well, 25 of them occurred in one race. Yeah. And he would have been better w- when he wasn't stupid and the red mist didn't descend and, you know, like I- intentionally crashing into another driver during a practice session. Yeah. Um, he also, he inspired a subculture. The number of websites that popped up to track his crashes, to track his um, incidents. There was a Tumblr blog at one point of Maldonado crashing into things. <laughs> there was... <laughs> which, by the way, the website um, Has Maldonado Crashed Today it is in mourning. Um, it now is a giant frowny face emoticon with the statement, no, I don't believe it. It can't be. Take me back. No. Um... The question is, though, will F1 really miss him? We know Mark Webber won't. Mark doesn't like him. A lot of the the drivers, some of the better drivers, found him to be a loose cannon and felt like he was a danger on the grid. Um, much the same way in 2012, they they talked about Roman Grosjean, who truly matured. And, um, and that's the difference. And that's the difference. He matured. Pastor has not. But do I think that the grid will miss him? Not in the slightest. Well, see, that brings us to the last thing. He didn't care what people thought. He truly did not. And this is what he told the Telegraph last year. He said, you know, they can say whatever they want. I'm here to do my best and to work. Um, When And he's talking about himself. When Pastor crashes, it's big news. When the other people crash, there is no news. It's like this. To find the limit, you need to cross the limit. I think I have the big balls to cross the limit every time. Are we really going to discuss Pastor's balls? We're not. Good. But, you know, that ties back to his whole thing that about him humbly mm-hmm. accepting that. Yeah. yeah. You're not humbly accepting that you just got fired when... What, a year ago, you were talking about how awesome you are because you cross the limit. You know what? To find the limit, the greats, what they do, they push the boundary of the limit. But when you cross the limit, you cause crashes. Yeah. You put other people in danger. Hugging the limit, get riding on that razor's edge of the limit, that's what's great. There's other pieces to that, too. You know, if you think back on... All of the interviews and all of the comments that Pastor has made after every incident, every single one, he has never accepted the blame. It is always somebody else. And it even got to the point back in what was it, 20, his his last year with Williams, was that 2013? Yes, he's been with the Lotus for two years. If you recall, in 2013 in Austin, 
after his absolutely disastrous performance, which, by the way, Williams was having, I think, their worst season in history. Pastor actually had the quote-unquote big balls to release a statement saying that Williams sabotaged his car and that's why he performed so bad. Hmm. Humility? He doesn't know what it means. No, he doesn't. Absolutely not. Now, for all of that, and, and I have to point this out because I did an article over on the website this week. Um, why did Renault let Pastor go? Now, I, I, I know. I, I have theories. <laughs> I, you know, it, it, at first glance, you're going, you just spent the last 15 minutes completely trashing the guy. And then you're going to turn around and go, well, but why did they let him go? Stick with me here. Okay. I'm trying. Okay. Yeah, the the, the damage and all of that, it, it, it's a viable question. But was it, you know, we hear that it was because they couldn't come up to a financial agreement with P.D. Vesa, his, his sponsor, who brought unprecedented sums of money in terms of sponsorship for Pastor. Well, you would have to because you have to cover his salary and his damage. Agreed. But that kind of money, is it I, – I don't believe that Kevin Magnuson, who is officially his replacement, he's not bringing in anything close to that. Neither is Jolian Palma, who apparently his deal, which and, – and there's questions about Jolian's long-term future in the sport. But his deal apparently includes the rights to sell um, – advertising on the side of the car oh so he can sell his own ads correct and and get some of the money out of that that's part of the deal i wonder what he's selling his ads for i i don't know but there's that there's the fact that okay the rumor is pastor is fantastic when it comes to feedback and 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 all of those pieces there's also we, we know he, as much as he drives like an idiot most times, he does have speed. Mm-hmm. I mean, he won GP2 his last year in GP2. Um, but was it a true financial issue with PD Vesa? Was it a problem with Pastor's performance? Or was it possibly a conflict of sponsorships? Because Renault's partner, and, and has been their partner for a very, very long time, is the oil company Total, the French oil company Total. PDVSA is a Venezuelan oil company. So there's a bit of a conflict, especially if, as part of that sponsorship deal with PDVSA, maybe PDVSA was supplying fuel and lubricants and petroleum products to the team, where Renault was partnered with total for all of these years and relies on total for that stuff could that have been the issue could it have been the fact that total as part of their agreement requires that either they can't partner with another petroleum company or if they do that the logos can't be bigger than total's logos i think you bring up a very interesting point that's why i said you got to stick with me there and i i knew where you were going because I read your article. Yeah. But I think you bring up a very good point 
in that Petey Vesa and Maldonado are joined at the hip. Mm-hmm. There is no Maldonado seat without Petey Vesa, right. period. So, of course, Renault's got to figure out how to make a balance. And you don't know which side of their coin dug their heels in. You also don't know, you know, what we don't know are so many things about how these deals are structured. I mean, they're they're private deals. So it's not like we get public access to their contracts. Right. I don't know if there wasn't a total person sitting in the room with the back of the envelope going, okay, PD Vesa brings you 45 million euros and pasture costs you in parts 30 million euros. Bear with mm-hmm. me. And that means you're going to net only 15 million euros. Well, Magnuson, who doesn't necessarily crash as much, might only bring in 20 million euros for his seat. You're still 5 million ahead. You are, but also, and, and the other question here is, look at this driver lineup. And this goes back to what Helmut Marco said last week. And we're going to talk a little more about Helmut Marco too. But Helmut Marco, when it was Pastor Palmer confirmed... Mm-hmm. You know, last week was saying that it, it's stupid for Renault to go and, and uh, throw all the resources into this combination. They're not going to get anywhere. And Pastor, it, for all of his crappy driving, does have five years of experience between two teams in Formula One. He's driven the Mercedes engines. He's driven the Renault engines. And he knows most recently, unlike Palmer, how those Mercedes engines... Well, actually, Palmer had some practice runs. But he knows how those Mercedes handle in terms of driving experience and all of that stuff. So there you've got five years of experience that you've now sent away. The current lineup of Kevin Magnuson, as much as we like Kevin Magnuson and Jolian Palma brings you one year of experience in formula one between the two of them, one year of experience in formula. And Magnuson doesn't even have recent experience because he didn't drive last year. He got, what, half a lap and a formation lap before Melbourne, and that was it? (laughs) Okay. Yes, I think that you're right. I think that Renault, as a works team, has got to go into 2016 as a building year. Mm -hmm. They've got to. And they will be. And that's the case. I was reading an article um, just this morning that Renault was – targeting title in 2017 now i realize that's their own set of balls that but see, see that I, I don't know about that because they've come out and they've said we were going to talk about it later but we might as well bring it up now renault is actually cyril abitable who is principal or whatever cyril has said that they're actually not targeting podiums for about three years really because yes. that was different than what i just read yeah they're they're talking three years um, before they expect to have things sorted out. Um, they're not expecting anything soon. Now, a lot of the reasons for that, and, and yeah, again, we're going to jump ahead from what we were going to talk about earlier. Um, a lot of the reasons for that is they acknowledge they need to, to sync up between um, the former Lotus facility and what used to be their facility in Enstone and where they're manufacturing the engines in Viry, France. And little history of this Enstone facility and okay. what the team is that is now Renault mm-hmm. before we go back to our earlier discussion. The team started out as Tolman. Okay. Um, Tolman for 
went away. The team then became Benetton. Right. Benetton pulls out of the sport and becomes Renault F1, where Fernando Alonso wins world championships with. And by the way, that's one of the rumors is that Renault wants to get Fernando back. And I could see that happening in 2017. Or whenever Fernando's contract's up. 2018, isn't it? I don't think it's still 2018. It's either 2016 or 2017. I don't remember which. Mm. So I could see if things are not going, continue, if things continue to go badly at McLaren, if Fernando would move on. I mean, the team is doing better than McLaren has been. But anyway, so they were rent. Renault F1 for Renault decides that Formula One doesn't make sense for them to have a works team anymore. They just want to be an engine supplier. So they back out, sell the, the rights of the team to Jenny I Capital, who names it Lotus. Jenny I Capital says, okay, we've had enough of this. We're pulling out. And it's now Renault F1 again. Renault F1 built the facility in Enstone. So they're going back to their old offices. They're going back to their old offices. One of the things that they have said is that Enstone for the last eight to ten months has been starved of resources. And they are trying to build things back up and get it all back in place. Oh, wow. Well, we knew that Lotus was having money trouble, so I'm not surprised that Enstone was starving it. Basically, as um, the negotiations for the whole sale got more serious the less money jenny i was was putting into the program they stopped development on the car they started letting folks go they started that's when things really started falling apart at endstone Mm. so their big focus is to bring staff in and we'll talk about that later and bring the facility back up and then get the two facilities the viri engine plant in france and endstone back in sync and they're saying three years oh really so back to the whole pastor thing and possibly why this had happened. The other possibility here is that PDVSA is a state-owned oil company mm-hmm. owned by the government of Venezuela, Venezuelan, Venezuela, which back when pastor was signed, oil prices were still high and it was looking like on the backs of the well-flowing oil that they were online to be the beachfront, oceanfront, uh, socialist paradise. (laughs) Okay. Um, It hasn't worked out that way. Obviously, with with, uh, the passing of the president at the time, and they've been ruled very poorly, and then you have oil prices sliding. Where they're at, and this comes from Matt O'Brien of The Independent, who has done an overview of where things are at in Venezuela. He says, the only question now is whether Venezuela's government or economy will completely collapse first. Um, So what happened? Well, we have an incompetent government combined with a huge drop in global oil prices have produced an economy that is shrinking at a breathtaking clip, crumbling infrastructure, a lack of goods for people to buy, even if they could afford it, and runaway inflation. He says, it's worth noting that the government's top economic official, quote, rejects some basic tenets of conventional economics. For example, that printing too much money causes inflation. 
The country's oil production is, fail- is falling, and oil prices are falling even faster, leaving the government woefully short on funds. They're set to default on their national debt. Corrupt officials may have embezzled hundreds of billions of dollars. Venezuela is rated as one of the most corrupt countries on earth. The nation's biggest company is begging the government to seek international aid to avoid the collapse of the food supply. And unfortunately, most of their neighbors are too pissed off at them to care. Wow. So that may be it too. (laughs) (laughs) It is possible that there was a lack of funds in addition to all of the other bits and pieces. Yeah. I mean, we know that there was a check that didn't arrive. We know that. They said they came out and said that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to step away. There really are. And some of them may not actually be Maldonado's fault. Maldonado might be humbly innocent in the, the deal. Well, you know, see, that's what happens when your career is solely tied to somebody else's money. Well, yes. I mean, at least if he had skills and he had performance and he wasn't the most reviled driver on the grid, there would be something that would be attractive to other sponsors and to other teams. But his mouth and his poor poor racecraft is a deterrent. Well, truly, he's a grid joke. Yeah. And nobody with sponsorship dollars is going to want to put their dollars behind. You'd rather put your dollars against an unknown than a known joke. Exactly. I mean, it's, he's not playing smart at all. He He's never really been known for that. Now, where I could see, assuming that the words that we have heard coming from the former Lotus folks, yeah, the former Lotus folks and the folks who are still over at Renault about how great Pastor is when it comes to um, performance feedback and, you know, overall feedback of the car and, and, and the development process, where I could see him possibly finding a place, and it depends on whether or not the team is, is willing to deal with it and, and doesn't need money from him would be as a test and development driver well it, it sounds like he would be extremely valued and in all seriousness he would be extremely valuable in such a position you say that mm-hmm. and you've said this to me and you and i've had these conversations off the podcast a couple times and i've been chewing on that concept i wonder how true his feedback being so awesome really is is that could that be okay. the red herring, the, the the piece that says, well, I realize that he crashes a lot, but he's so good at this other thing to make it feel like, well, he kind of does have a good personality or he's just such a nice guy. There, there could be that. Um, there could also be that for a lot of these folks in Formula One, they're just happy to get better feedback than what they get from Kimi Raikkonen. I don't know. Well, you do have the in comparison to Kimmy because Kimmy drove for Lotus for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that Maldonado gave incredible feedback compared to Kimmy. But I almost wonder sometimes when I hear those statements, are they defending the choice of Maldonado by giving him something? We're going to throw him a bone Some because he's not, been. you know, 
We don't want everybody to think that he's completely an arrogant ass. We'd like to trade him off to another team at some point. So let's build up this idea that he's got value somewhere. Well, what I think is interesting is that you hear this from the former Lotus and the Renault folks. I don't recall ever hearing a comment like that coming from the Williams folks. My point. (laughs) My point. So, moving on. We do have other stories other than Maldonado. We do. Um, Other struggling teams. Uh, Word has come out that the Sahara Group has requested permission from India's Supreme Court to sell its 42.5% stake in the Force India team. You know, the team that it is a title sponsor of. Sahara Force India. Right. Um, Now, the group's chairman and founder, Subrata Roy, was jailed two years ago after the company failed to refund 2.45 billion pounds to investors. Yes, another person associated with the Force India team has questionable financial stylings. It's a shock, I know. (laughs) Anyway, appearing before the the court uh, on, I believe it was Monday, he requested its permission to sell the F-1 team along with four aircraft and hotels in an effort to raise £306 million towards clearing the company's debts. And that's according to reports in India. Sahara purchased its stake in October of 2011, um, and team principal Vijay Malia also owns a 42.5% stake. Uh, He told media last October he was very happy to continue having Sahara Group as partners. Um, He says there's no issue at all. He feels very sorry for Subrata, but this unfortunate situation is not affecting the team in any way. Never mind the fact that, you know, he was talking to Aston Martin to, to take on a controlling stake in the team. Right. I know. Figure, figure that one out. They just need money. They don't care where it's coming from at this point. Yeah. So we still don't have anything finalized for rules for 2017. There was a big summit at Pirelli mm-hmm. this week on Tuesday, I believe it was, the tire summit. Um, it was Bernie Eccleston, Jean Todd, uh, Sergio Marchioni, well as several other team bosses and drivers, including Sebastian Vettel, Felipe Massa, Valtteri Bottas, and Nico Rosberg, uh, to try and figure out what to do with at least the tires when it comes to these rules. Rumor has it from Pirelli. Pirelli is saying that... Um, from 2017 or is it 2016? 2017, the tire that they are planning will be more durable. This may be the end of the high degradation tires to allow drivers to attack more. Oh, cool. Maybe. We've Maybe. also heard that the cliff is supposed to be coming back. I don't know if that's happening either, but. Okay. But as part of that, there is still no. And, that's where I don't completely understand how Pirelli can come out and say that they're going to have racier tires. We don't know what the rules are going to be and what they're going to do to refine the rules for 2017. Yeah, we don't know, but Pirelli's going to make racier tires. The claim is that everything will be ready for voting and approval, I believe, by the World Motorsports Council by February 29th. Now, it has to be. 
because if they're not finalized by March 1st, that changes how they have to get ratified and approved, and that makes it even more difficult for this to happen. They have to, they, they have to make this happen. It's just got to be done. Now, what we it does sound like is happening is it does sound like there is going to be a change to improve the head protection for 2017, and the drivers are happy with whatever solution is about to be proposed towards that. Cool. But that has been agreed to. Yay. So there is that. Well, I'm glad to hear about that. I mean, safety is always a good thing. The other thing that we know, and this is huge, this is actually a really, really big deal. They have agreed that for 2017, the power unit token system is going away. Now, this is one of those things that we need to explain. Sadly. Because if we don't, hell, even after the explanation, most people don't understand it, which okay. is a good reason why it's going away. It's Because it doesn't, it's not understandable is why it's going away. Um, however, it's also dull as dirt. Well, let me explain summary here, okay, from the folks over at uh, Autosport as to how the tokens were, or were supposed to work, okay? In short, the power unit, because it's not an engine, it's a power unit. The power unit was broken into 42 parts. Each of these was allocated a token weight from 1 to 3, depending on importance, and with the entire system comprising of 66 tokens. So right there, if you wanted to upgrade the entire engine in its entirety, you could not do it because you wouldn't have enough tokens. Because you were only allocated 25 a year. Well, even without that, 42 parts. Okay, so should a team choose to develop the oil pressure pumps, it would have to use one of its available tokens, whereas to improve combustion defined as ports, piston crown, combustion chamber, valve geometry, timing, lift, injector nozzle, coils, and spark plugs, that's three, because that makes sense, okay? So prior to 2015, certain parts that amounted to five tokens were frozen, allowing scope for development in all the remaining parts, totaling 61 tokens. Again, to avoid unlimited improvements for 2015, the teams were allowed to use a maximum of 32 tokens, which means they could only upgrade 48% of the power unit. To make it even more difficult, over time, the initial rules stipulated the number of tokens each season would decrease. So for 2019 and 2020, just three tokens for upgrade would be available, or just 5% of the power unit open to development. As each area became frozen, it was blacked out, which is where in the rules there was a reference to black boxes and white boxes. Frozen areas being blacked out, you couldn't deal with it anymore. Okay. Bottom line, needlessly complex. Okay. I'm going to summarize your summary because otherwise we're going to have people driving off the road because they fell asleep. Needlessly complex. That's it. This is very simple. If you didn't get the engine right, the beginning of this engine generation. You better hope it was something that wasn't frozen. You had a very limited opportunity to fix it. See also McLaren Honda. The good news is they are dismembering that process so that development could actually occur in a better, more reasonable way. Period. That makes sense now. 
Now, what they have agreed to, because they're still concerned, this was all done for cost savings. That that was the main reason, and, mm-hmm. and to prevent a team from going, um, what used to happen in, in the days when there was tobacco, uh, money getting pouring into the sport, was a team would run one engine for the practice session and another un- engine for the qualifying and another for the race, and then rinse, lather, lather, rinse, repeat, and all over again. They're leaving in place the restrictions on the number of engines a team can use in a year. Right. So, yes, you can replace your engine with an upgraded engine, but you can't do a new engine every race, in theory. They're hoping that will at least curtail development to some point, but it will give Ferrari and Honda and Renault a chance to hopefully institute the meaningful upgrades to the engine that they need to catch up and make it competitive. Well, that's the thing. If they figured out what the problem is and it's in an area that they either can't touch or can't afford to touch in tokens, that's where they're going to have problems. So that's why this scrapping and starting over and allowing them to upgrade the engine as a total unit and it's not the sum of its parts anymore is is a better move. Limiting the total number of engines... Frankly, I think that that only makes sense if you are restricting an engine, if you are restricting good engines from being removed from the grid to allow for newer engines, as opposed to allowing an engine that has caught on fire and exploding needs to have to be replaced. And you shouldn't have to take a 50 grid penalty because your engine caught fire in the last race. Well, in theory, the, the way I, I think I understand it, if, say, what was at the end of Bahrain where um, Daniel Ricardo's engine spectacularly exploded as he came across the finish line, mm-hmm. in theory, if the damage from that engine was repairable so that the engine could essentially be returned to service— it doesn't necessarily count as an engine used because they could bring it back. Oh, have okay. the technology. <laughs> it might have even cost six million dollars. Oh, at least if not <laughs> so much more. Please tell me we can move on from engines and tires. Kind of. Oh. So last week we made fun of Helmet Marco for coming forward and saying. You know, Red Bull's stupid for for throwing all their resources into the works team, and that they, they Renault sh- is stupid for giving their resources to the works team and not Red Bull. That's what I was saying. It's not what you just said. Okay, keeping you on track. He he said that Renault was stupid for doing that, yes, and that they should really pour their efforts into Red Bull. Correct. Well, Renault has come out apparently and said and. It This comes straight from Cyril Abitable. So this isn't even like unnamed sources. He has said that they will be supplying to Red Bull exactly the same engines they are giving to the works team. Um, he says that he claims that they have an obligation from the regulations to supply exactly the same equipment. Um, he said there won't be any form of branding or marketing association for obvious reasons. Um, but he says in terms of con- continuity, there will be the same faces you have seen last year there 
Um, he said there will be the same faces in a Red Bull garage. They'll be dressed different, but the faces will be the same. He says that when the works team gets an upgrade, Red Bull will be getting an upgrade. That everything will be identical. Well, I'm kind of surprised by that. And But I think that that's very, very cool in that the, that might shut Red Bull up a little bit. He also has said that even though the current deal with Red Bull is only for a year, if the team is open to a longer deal, he would be open to it as well. Really? I suspect, though, that to get these engines and to get it, if it is true parity between the two teams, I would expect that there are some pretty big strings attached, like the stop slagging us in the media. (laughs) I'm I'm just saying. I would hope that they have Renault got smart enough to be able to say, "You got to guys, you got to shut up now." While we're talking about Red, uh, about Renault, big coup for them as part of this from from their launch on Wednesday mm-hmm. and the statements that were made to the media and just overall some things that are happening with the company, this sounds like they are very, very serious about their return. This is not a, we're, yeah, it's a LARF, we're doing this because Red Bull pissed us off. This sounds like they are making a very serious and significant commitment. We already know that they are working to rebuild the Endstone facility to bring it back up to what they consider to be par. Um, they have reorganized their entire auto sports division around this really um and that came with some renaming as well in addition they have brought back bob bell from mercedes this is a big win for them bob bell used to be part of the renault team um and actually he was part of the team um i think it was it wasn't benetton i think they were they were uh renault at this point after the Crashgate scandal when they let go of flavio briatore and pat simmons Crashgate was an ordered crash at i think it was singapore the first year singapore uh they directed one of their uh team members i think it was nelson pk to crash the car Mm. to impact the results of the championship but it was a deliberate crash right um when flavio briatore and pat simmons were fired as a result of that it was bob bell who was brought in to fix things and bring the team back in place. And I believe it was Bob Bell who was running the team when Fernando won his championship. Oh. He is very well respected, which was one of the reasons why when Mercedes had the chance, they pulled him away from Lotus. Ah. So this could be a very significant move for them. Well, congratulations, Rena. Speaking of Mercedes... And I should play the music here, but I don't have it queued up. Um, Mercedes has come out and said that they expect Ferrari and Honda to close with them during the 2016 season. Uh, Sky's blue, water's wet. Yeah, we got it. I also <laughs> read an article about Dietrich. Mattachitz? Yeah, I think that was who it at, was. Uh, Red Bull? No. No, it was a Mercedes guy that was also... Oh, Dieter Zeech? Dieter Zeech. See, it was one of those D names. They confused me. Um, he came out and he, he has thrown the gauntlet down. I know, water is wet. Mm-hmm. That 
he hopes that Ferrari could actually challenge a Mercedes this year. You know, if I knew you were going to do that, I would have brought back the clip from the press conference in, uh, what was it, Australia, with uh, <laughs> Seb challenging Nico. Yeah. Well, you want to, well, just slow down. You're just going to, yeah, no. Okay, good luck with that plan. Hey, speaking of 2017, Michelin says they still want to get into the sport, and they said that they have the solution to the 2017 rules, and they can deliver the tires that Pirelli says that they can't do, provided the, the team the, the uh, teams are willing to go to the bigger wheels because that's what they want. Ah, uh, well. Or to translate that, Michelin said, "Hey, look at me! I'm over here! Woo-hoo! Hello, <laughs> hi." <laughs> remember us you used to like us man I know and in our last story which honestly I gotta say you're slacking this was yours you were gonna follow it you are gonna do it and you, you let it go the, you can't go there yet I can't go there yet no I've been waiting for this entire tire discussion to go away, for the engine discussion to go away, so that I can tell you that your buddy and mine, Susie Perry, is not going to present Formula One next year. So in other words, she is not moving to Channel 4. The question is then, what is she going to do? I don't know. She's staying with BBC. That's what she says. So I guess I'll mention the confirmed and rumors that continue to fly we do know for a fact who host number two is going to be at top gear yes it is one flowery shirted eddie jordan no he is not confirmed there is a rumor that eddie is going to oh i thought he got confirmed no who's the second confirmed the actual confirmed number two host formerly known as Joey Tribbiani, Matt LeBlanc. Ew. You didn't know that? No. Ew. Well, before you say that. I know he's a car guy. I uh, get it. But but before you even say that, before the previous iteration of Top Gear ended, he was the record holder in the star in a reasonably priced car. Okay. Just saying. That doesn't qualify you for Top Gear, but okay. This could go either way. Mm -hmm. You know, if he is animated like we we have seen on Friends and in some of his other parts, it could be fantastic. He could be a whole lot better than Chris Evans because it sounds like Chris Evans isn't doing well. However... If he behaves on Top Gear like we have seen in the Formula One pre-race interviews in Austin and any just about any other interview I have ever seen, he is going to be dull as dirt. That's, he is going to be almost as bad as Harrison Ford can be in an interview. That is my concern. Yeah. Right there. And it looks like if they did confirm Eddie Jordan, he would be the only personality to carry the show the only guy with a big personality to carry the show i think it could be interesting if eddie was the the only thing you know i i've got to give some skepticism to that room as much as it could be kind of cool but nobody knew that 
there was even the potential that Matt LeBlanc was going to get signed, was going to be discussed, was any of that. So um, the fact that there is word coming out that it could be Eddie kind of makes me wonder that, no, it's not him at all. Mm. I don't know. Interesting. There is a rumor, and it is just a rumor, that the one of the Channel 4 presenters um, could be an X-Factor person. But I don't remember his name. But it's not sounding like somebody from motorsport. Well, I won't write that off completely because of the year that we first started watching. And... That, I can't remember anybody's name. Jake Humphreys. Thank you. Jake Humphreys came out of children's television. And Jake Humphreys um, and David Cothard's production company is confirmed. Yes. They're they're doing it. So he's going to have a piece of this. Um, But I don't think Jake Humphreys is going to host. I mean, he made it clear he doesn't want to do the, as much as he liked it, he doesn't want to do the travel anymore. So I, I don't think he will. And I don't want to turn around and, and out of hand dismiss that it's somebody coming out of motorsport, coming okay, from outside. somewhere outside of motorsport is going to suck at it because of the fact that Jake Humphrey wasn't bad. I mean, he's living proof that you don't necessarily need to come from it. But I don't and know. And there is something to be said for if you have a triumvirate, um, much like BBC always used, to have the everyman be your central lead presenter becomes a good thing i think it's one of the reasons why it's one of my complaints against uh nbc sports is they're not explaining it to anybody that's in front of them they're explaining it to some nebulous person that they don't know no they're explaining it to the same person every single week the person who is turning into formula one for the very first time right and they do that every single week and while Susie knows a lot and Jake Humphrey knows a lot, they learned it on the fly getting as they get warmed up to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But they come across as being the everyman. They come across punting the questions to their co-presenters that know because they're in, in the sport. Yeah. And Lee Diffie does not play the everyman very well. Does, am I making sense? You do. And, and I think it's because... Um, and I'm going to say this, and it, it's going to come across as more of a slam that I mean, but lead, actually, let me rephrase that. I'll say this, and I think this is actually more, he comes across more as the announcer than he does as the reporter. Exactly. That's it. That's, that's, that's where I see the difference. Susie was asking questions like you would want to know, you know, you could sit there and say, I would want to know that that answer mm-hmm. to that question. Susie was asking questions. They were informed questions. It wasn't like she was stupid. I'm not saying that at all. No. She was a very, very bright and very well-informed person. But she was asking the questions that you'd want the answers to. And she had co-presenters that had intimate knowledge within the sport. Well, Lee Diffie has got... A former driver, which, yes, we have argued has zero relevance in today's F1, and he has a former mechanic that is very smart. And he 
he has the connections. Right. I just don't think he's allowed to, to fully leverage those connections. But you have that, but he's not asking. He's announcing. You're right. He is mm-hmm. an announcer. He is not reporting on the sport. All right. Now you can show me up because I didn't follow through. I checked every <laughs> single week from August to the end of Thanksgiving for the answer to the Fangio paternity test and said, well, I guess no, we're not going to hear anything because for three months we heard nothing. Well, not only have we heard something, but actually, apparently we heard something twice and you missed <laughs> both of them. I stopped looking. There were no updates. I stopped looking. This past week, Ruben Vasquez learned that he is the son of five-time Formula One championship Juan Manuel Fangio following a legally mandated DNA test. However, he was confirmed as the second son, Mm -hmm. with the first son being Oscar Espinoza, who was confirmed, and Espinoza, by the way, who is 77 years old, was confirmed as Fangio's son in December. And Vasquez's case has now reached the exact same conclusion, Vasquez being 73. Now, Vasquez has a race career of his very own in his previous years. He is not racing any longer. Yes. Um, but he was a very, very famous race racing driver. Um and had a very close career to Fangio's and only now knows exactly how close his career should have been. Now, Fangio was never married, nor had any other recognized children in his lifetime. Granted, we've got two now. Although he He had recognized children in his lifetime. Yeah. Although he had a lengthy relationship with Andrea Barrett, who is Oscar Espinosa's mother. Right. And it was a short time fling with Vasquez's mother yeah but yes now dead has two kids Mm -hmm. they are elderly now I guess the grandchildren but what this will affect is actually the estate of Fangio yes because there is a sizable amount of money that was donated um and I'm not sure what will happen to that because he now has heirs that are confirmed so that that's going to play in the money piece. But now we know the results of exhuming Fangio's body. Now, we did not talk about the new development driver over at Force India because whatever. Um, we also ha- did not talk about the comments, the non-comments. I want to be clear. These were non-comments from Luca Montezemolo regarding Michael Schumacher's condition. Okay. So we're non-commenting on his non-comments? Really? That is what we have sunk to. Yes. <laughs> okay. Because the, the Formula One internets lost their mind over the fact that Luca Mont- de Montezemolo came out with essentially non-comments regarding his condition. Okay. I go back to, there was nothing there. Okay. Um, other than that, though. As Phil has shown, if you go and leave us comments, we will respond. And in some cases, apparently spend almost a half hour of the show talking about. There's lots of details to share. Yeah. 
No, we, we really appreciate that. We want to hear from everybody. Um, it lets us know direction to go, what people like, what they don't like. And, you know, it reminds us that we're actually talking to somebody and not this fuzzy ball on the end of a metal pipe. Uh, <laughs> I call it George. Well, that's good. Please do not hug it and pet it and squeeze it because it makes weird weird sounds on the recording. I love it. <laughs> So you can find us over on Facebook at, at The Bloke and the Bird Show and also over on the website where you can read that article that uh, we wrote. Um, maybe we'll actually write some more at Um There will not be a show next week. I was going to say, we do have an announcement. I should there mention is, it. There is no show next week. It's um, not because we are celebrating Valentine's Day. Um, nope, you will be, because it's Valentine's Day, you've decided you need to leave. That's so. <laughs> exactly what happens. We celebrate Valentine's Day in the most traditional non-Hallmark way possible by celebrating in separate places. <laughs> it works for us. Don't, don't ask questions. Yeah. It works. No, you've got plans for the weekend, which, which will mean we will not be able to do a show. Unless um, you wanted to do it by yourself. I don't think so. The other thing we should mention is that we will be making several appearances this year at the Mid-Ohio Speedway. Yes. Uh, to see not just IndyCar, but of all things, NASCAR. We're still working on Michael's snob level to get him to not be wearing the shirt that says i look down on you because you watch nascar i am not gonna do that or possibly wear his t-shirt that says f1 the actual pinnacle of motorsport that i might do <laughs> that i might do but um there's the vintage grand prix that we'll be going to the the vintage grand prix and a vintage motorcycle race as well will be headed to in the scca uh runoffs national runoffs Yes. Uh, but what we will be doing one of the times that we are there is we will be there for the IndyCar race. We will have paddock access. And I know Patricia will be on the lookout over at the Chip Ganassi Racing Garages for one Max Chilton. I will totally be looking for Max Chilton. <laughs> and I'm sure that he won't get me banned from the paddock access if I go walking up to him and go, you used to drive in Formula One. Can I touch you? <laughs> as long as you don't try and pinch his butt, you'll probably be okay. And he's not the only Formula One driver or former Formula One driver that will be in the pits. No, because Juan Pablo Montoya will be there as well for I believe I think he's running for Penske. Yes, he will be. And just a reminder, we have a signed photo of Juan Pablo. Should you decide to get all of your friends to like us on Facebook? There you go. And on that note, we'll call it a show. It would be good if uh, if they can come a bit closer, and as long as they don't come too close. To be honest, do you really hope so? For the, yes, because half seriously, of, yeah, half of me thinks about. You finish thirty seconds ahead of us, and you hope that it's going to be closer. So you hope you slow down. That's what that what you're saying. I, I hope that you can I give us. I, I hope I hope you can give us a challenge because it's important for the sport and and for the fans. And and I do think about the show. You know, uh, half of me or a part of me thinks about the show because um, I want to put on. I want to give people uh, a great time at home watching on TV or at the track. So uh, if you do come a bit closer, that would be awesome. It's fine. I think the first suggestion, if you don't mind, could be that uh, your garage becomes public for Malaysia and uh, everyone can, has a, can have a look. No? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> no, I'm joking.
You can, you can come if you want. We can invite you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for the invite. I'll come. Okay. Friday, Malaysia. Okay. Engineer's room. Yeah. Yeah. Debrief. I'll be there. <laughs>